Good morning and welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan and joining me today is Craig. Good morning. And Susie. Hello. Well, okay, so 2017's over. That's a good thing. Sigh of relief or whatever. Okay. 2018 can't possibly be any worse than that. Mm. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Speaking about jinxing things. So we have... Uh, we have some email feedback from Daniel Ryan. Daniel Ryan is involved with the Society for Science-Based Healthcare, not Science-Based Medicine. That's the US group. That's our first correction of the year and the day. Daniel Ryan write, wrote us to thank us about speaking about his study. Was that last time? Yes, it was. Last, yeah. last, last episode? Um the answer to those questions, I have no idea what the actual questions are, so if anyone remembers what they were, write in and tell us and we'll mention them. Well, we asked week. whether the paper was going to be available for people to read, and apparently it's going to be available in six months for anybody to read. Six months from the date of this, presumably, so that was shortly after the last podcast, so presumably it'll be about five months. Yes. Five, five months from now, put it in your diary. Yes. <laughs> To remember to check and we'll um we'll totally follow up on that and we also commented about that uh dr edzard ernst wrote a blog post seemingly uh on the same sort of topic um around the time that daniel's um, paper was published and we thought that that was a bit of a coincidence but apparently uh daniel had emailed uh edzard ernst um, and he had a look at the review, and he re replied back saying that he wrote a post on it. Hmm. So um, yeah, so it would seem that uh, Daniel's paper and email was the cause of Edzard Ernst writing his blog post about it. Yay! Indeed, just good. Yep. And the correction, which we just corrected: science-based healthcare, not science-based medicine. Sure. Um, corrections, we just did that, see above, and a, any notice board items? I don't think so. You're not doing anything interesting? You're always <laughs> doing something interesting. <laughs> uh, I can't think. I'm still in holiday mode. Oh, okay. Can't imagine what that's like. <laughs> don't you have holidays, Nathan? Or is your life a permanent holiday? <laughs> Pretty much. Until I find out whether the course is doing anything next year, I'm just on hiatus. Next year? This year. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, Skeptics Conference is still coming up. I guess they're making progress on that. Is that you guys doing that? Oh, is that us? Well, we're having Auckland. it in Auckland. Yes, mm. right. So you guys are but well But there has underway. been no activity on it yet. Ah, months and planning months, months. furiously, regular meetings. Yeah, totally. Sure. Right on top of that. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. on the um, committee, Nathan. Am I? Fantastic. I've got plenty of spare time. Wow, indeed, indeed. Yes, perhaps we could harness Un that. Until I start studying again. Right, okay. <laughs> In which case, anyway, let's get on with the news. Okay, news. So, the first news item is a Facebook conversation with Craig and one of his friends. Well, this is just a chance for me to rant. Um, okay, Craig <gasps> rants about Facebook. <laughs> yeah, so um, there is a... Guard a, a page set up on Facebook um, that is anti the Gardasil vaccine. Um, 
the Facebook page is Gardasil Kills 2. 2 as in the um, numeral. I'm not sure why as it's Gardasil it's Kills 2. Maybe they closed had, down or something. Yeah, probably they were inept at Facebook and um, <laughs> well, someone, someone they took up, over they adminning up. or something. Yeah. Yeah, and so they had yeah. to make a second page. Anyway, so. this page is um, set up. It was seen by a New Zealand woman who had a teenage daughter who um, unfortunately died, um, and she is blaming the Gardasil vaccine um, for her teenage daughter's death. Um, and, of course, she has no proof of that um, except that uh, in her heart of hearts, she knows it was the sure. vaccine. Um, so there's been tons of stuff written about this um, in the past. Um, but one of my friends on Facebook uh, shared the post again, um, and and I I engaged. Um, basically, he has uh, young daughters, um, and so I basically said... Um, uh, made the comment falling for anti-vax bullshit again, Jeff, um, and then posted uh, a link to uh, immune.org.nz for the um, page on the Gardasil vaccine. Very diplomatic of um, you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's basically a conspiracy um, theory believer, um, a, a Trump supporter, um, oh really? So that, that's 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 the bubble that he's in, yeah. Wow. Um, so I posted a follow up comment saying, "So let me get this straight: you're going to prevent your girls from receiving a vaccine that will vastly reduce their risk of cervical cancer on the basis of a cons- of a conspiratorial, emotion driven anti vax story? I think you're nuts. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> really not you're... into winning this argument, are you, Craig? <laughs> well, I thought I should kind of try and point out the brute facts to him. Yeah, okay. Let us know how you get um, on with that, because we can't yeah, see well, the conversation, unfortunately. So. No, no, indeed. And to which he replied, yep, you know I don't drink the Kool-Aid, Craig. Flavor-Aid. Um, okay. <laughs> well, no, I think, no, no, no. Wasn't he referring to the um, the, the Jonestown yeah. incident where they drink Kool-Aid? Flavor-Aid. But you saying it was Gatorade? Uh, no, flavor, was Flavor-Aid. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, the, that's, okay. I mean, the, the saying is the saying, but apparently... It was, is it Jonestown? Yes. Was it not Kool-Aid? No. I'm, I'm just, yeah. we gave it, blah, blah, blah. Flavor-Aid, Wikipedia. Yeah. Well, any. Didn't we get an explanation of that from Kevin Haig at the Skeptics Conference last year? Didn't uh, he talk what? about oh, last Kool-Aid? Maybe. Yes, I vaguely, yeah, I, I know he talked something about that. Hmm. And I can't recall the details of it. Susie could reference her her vast Twitter feed. Yeah, no, according to according to, Wiki, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, the drink became yeah. linked to the Jonestown mass murderer. Blah blah blah, was placed in Flavor Aid. Yeah. Um, anyway. So anyway, there is some there is some relevant science on this. So somebody um, posted a Snopes article ah. about the uh, Gardasil vaccine. Uh, but if he's a Trump and it's supporter, actually a pretty good. It's a pretty good article. Yeah. Um, to read about it, but right down the bottom, they said they posted a correction to the article on the basis that previously they had said that the Gardasil vaccine had been shown to reduce the rates of cervical cancer, when in fact that's actually not true. What? Um, all it's been 
Well, because cervical cancer is going to um, appear uh, over time yeah. based upon HPV infections. Right. Um, so we don't yet have the long-term data that would yes. support okay. saying that the Gardasil vaccine has prevented cervical cancer. But we do have the data um, studies that, that show that it has reduced the incidence okay. of the HPV um, infection. Okay. Um, but the person who posted that uh, basically then uh, commented saying that uh, at the end of the article, it states that there is not enough data on its reducing cervical cancer yet. So basically, the first to have this are guinea pigs for the next generation. I don't think you can make that leap. Yeah, it's not quite how it works, but okay. No, but it kind of, to me, the, the logic that reducing the infection um, of HPV is uh, likely to reduce the uh, uh, incidence of the cancer that is caused by it wouldn't you think it certainly seems to I, I suggest think, that doesn't it i think the evidence is that women are having less abnormal smears right since then so that's good yeah that's a good suggestion that there's gonna be less cancer yeah so silly question if it turns out that the data doesn't support the vaccine reducing cancer risk what is hpv and is it bad enough to justify getting a vaccine just on its own What's well, a virus that's basically linked to cervical cancer? Well, my point is, if yeah. it's not linked to cervical cancer, is it an infection? No, it is. is it, it's a, the it's an problem illness, is that there's sick. lots of no, there's lots of different um, versions of HPV, and so some of the versions are in the vaccine, and some are not, and so it there are some populations who won't be protected because they might get different strains of the virus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. The question is, what, okay. what happens to you? Is it flu-like? Is it just something that sits there and doesn't do anything particularly? Uh, I don't think it does much okay. other than cause, cause cancer, cancer changes. Cancer <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was just, just wondering if that was a, um, you know, get the vaccine so, even if I guess, just because it's a bad thing to get. But yeah. So if the vaccine were to prevent some strains from allowing you so the the vaccine would allow you to be immune to some strains but not others but not others mm. then probably we don't know what the effect of getting perhaps infected with those other strains would be so the studies done so far have shown that in some populations and i think there was it was quite possible something like african-american women who predominantly got um, different versions to caucasian women but because of the way the um, pharmaceutical industry and everything works, the vaccines that were made were more, I think, more had the strains that were affecting Caucasian women than African-American right. women. So the important thing is going to be what's the coverage of the vaccine um, and do we have vaccines or are they developing vaccines that will have better coverage so more people will be protected. Right. But right. the thing with vaccines is that they do... Um, you do see a shift in the types of strains that are then causing disease yeah. um, because of vaccination. And so for some diseases, you then see the strains that are not in the vaccine start to come through. More prevalent. Because, yeah, yeah, they're the ones that then start to spread. Mm. Yes. And that's why it's sort of, I guess, akin to the flu thing where um, perhaps over time the vaccines should change to to represent what strains are causing disease in mm. people. I assume the, the people okay. that know these things are on top of that. You'd assume so, wouldn't I you? Would. Yeah. I hope 
so, so one of the themes to this conversation and anti-vaxxers in general seems to be that they hate the idea that uh, pharmaceutical companies make a lot of money out of vaccines. I don't know whether that's true or not. I don't do think they? they make that much. Is it a big money spinner for pharmaceutical companies supplying vaccines? Um, I get the impression, at least with some of them, that it's a bit of a loss leader, isn't it? That the vaccine is sort of your um, your signature thing and they sell it at cost or very low profit. Um, well, no, they'll sell it at different prices for different, sorry, different prices for different markets. Well, that too. Mm. So yes. something like this, they could charge a premium in, you know. Say the US. Yeah. The US, UK, Europe, all that kind of thing. Um then it's a question of how available do they make it for other communities that yes. can't afford to pay for it or won't won't pay the same prices that um, wealthy communities. As part pay. of the kerfuffle mm. with um, what's his face, Scarelli, Scarelli, when he was putting. Oh, you the, mean the? Um, oh, the one yeah, who put raised the price, the up the price, price up to whatever, whatever it was. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it was more than that. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't he in jail uh, yeah, now? Yeah, I don't know if it was specifically for that or something else, but yeah, I think so. But yeah, the question the question around it was, you know, vaccines can be super expensive in developed countries because they use that profit to sell it in other countries at a lower price. But I don't think that's what he was doing. I think he was just being a dick. I th- yeah. Because the company before he bought it, they were selling having, it at, what was it, thirteen bucks or something a a dose. They put it up. Having mm. read Ben Goldacre's Bad oh, yes, Farmer. Um, it's very clear that pharmaceutical industry has a lot of money. They spend more money on marketing on than they do on R&D yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So, I, I, I think, Nathan, you're perhaps painting them as being more ethical than that. I'm not <laughs> painting anyone. I'm just, this is something someone but, said. But on the other hand... This is a thing that, they, that happens. This, but whether all of well, them do it or just a very, very few or none of them. But you also have to remember, though, that... Um, not every drug that they're developing will make it into yes. people. And so they also Research have a huge loss rate. So they, they do have to And marketing. Someone's got to pay but for equally, all those ads. They are, yeah, but they are a for-profit yeah. industry. And this is what happens when you make something really important like healthcare yeah. for profit. Absolutely. Yeah. Me and my socialist leanings. I mean, you can have both. <laughs> You can have companies like that that do make a profit, but they're regulated so that they can't, you know, be incredibly unfair. And in New Zealand, all of the drugs I get cost me like five bucks a pop. So they're subsidised by the government, right? Well, and that's because we have yeah. Pharmac, and pharmaceutical industry does not like Pharmac Because they at also all. have the ability to set the prices, don't they? Or to influence the prices. Yes. Guess. Well, they'll say well, what they we negotiate. will buy. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Mm. Anyway, I think it's a lot more complicated than the pharmaceutical industry are evil. Sure. Yes. But equally, they are not, not without. Not Lily, <laughs> they're not Lily White either. <laughs> exactly. Either. Yeah. Okay, so we got to move on to the next um, thing, I think, because yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, this guy's nuts, and we we, we don't say nuts. On. <laughs> You can say bananas, I think. All <laughs> oh, right. Yes. No. Actually, no. That was probably He's the bananas. wrong term, but uh, it, it was a term that he would understand. I was speaking his well, language. Okay. I think we should um, we should talk about and if we can get a, an interview from someone about street epistemology because I've just been hearing a lot about that in podcasts over the last couple of weeks. 
and um, it's a great. Okay, so hang on, hang on. Explain yourself, Nathan. Tell us well, exactly. Well, I listen what to podcasts about. on my phone, right? And some of those <laughs> okay, podcasts. No, 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 no. The street epistemology. Um, so thing. it's it's loose. I don't know if it originated precisely, but it's um, popularized at least with Peter Bogosian's book, uh, Manual for Creating Atheists. Street epistemology right. is asking questions. So, but epistemology is about the yes. study and of knowledge. And what you're trying to establish with street right. epistemology is what is your justification for holding this very strong belief that you hold? So epistemology right. may not be the absolute super best word, but I think it's um, it, it's relevant enough. Um, so you go out, you, I mean, this the, uh, what's his face? Um, starts with M, a little bit complicated. Anyway, um, he has a YouTube channel. He's, he's <laughs> one of the big proponents. He goes out on the street. Um, and he stops people and say, hey, have you got a couple of minutes? Do you want to talk about something that you believe? And he just asks them, you know, how strongly do you hold that belief on a scale of one to 100? And then he just asks questions to make them think about why they hold that belief and what are their reasons for holding that belief with the, um, the goal of maybe making them reconsider whether they hold that belief for good reasons or not. It's very interesting yeah. to watch um, and listen to, I guess. But yeah, it's just a really, really good, seems like a really effective method of avoiding things like, um, it's not as the blowback effect, backfire effect, right? With what Craig's doing okay. right now, is only going to make his friend dig his heels in further because you're attacking his belief. With street epistemology. Oh yeah, but I but I know this guy. I know I'm this not guy saying you shouldn't be doing. I, I'm not saying he's not having a great time as well. But it's it's the studies that are done. You know, where you present people with facts, and then after you present them with the facts, you you retest them on what they believe, and they believe the thing that they believed originally even more than they did before you gave them the facts. It was it yes. was on um, well. Skeptics. I'm struggling to believe that now that you told well, me about it. Well, let me it, give you some facts about how that was done. <laughs> yeah, I mean the study was yeah. done. It's been I, done I, again. I, I wonder think. about. Yeah, but j- just this um, the street epistemology thing. I wonder if sort of approaching people on the street like that and making them think about um, their beliefs like that, perhaps they're going to go back home and. Um, they're not going to seriously change their well, mind. Some some of some uh, people actually do. So what he does is he goes to the same sorts of places. He's got a few different locations he goes to, and mm-hmm. he sees the same people coming back again. And occasionally, occasionally he'll have a follow up video a week or a month later with that same person. Say, yeah, I thought about what you said, and I've actually I've changed my my certainty, or I've been really rethinking that. Um, the few that I've seen have been mostly people who came in and they were they were relatively honest and skeptical about their beliefs. I mean one um you know lot you, you imagine you're sort of your stereotypical American Christian. If you ask them how certain are you of your belief, they're gonna say, oh hundred percent. Not even gonna think about it. But the, <laughs> You sure that's not that's a stereotype, stereotype. Nathan. That's why I, didn't I literally say stereotypical <laughs> Christian American? Um <laughs> But the people that, that I've seen that have walked away saying, yeah, I'm going to think about that or, yeah, I might, I'm going to change my mind or alter my, my, my conviction, 
those are the ones that started up front by saying, oh, yeah, I'd say 97% or 85%. So they were already starting from a place of, I have already been thinking about this, or I'm already the sort of person that seriously considers the things that I believe. Yeah. Anyway, right. that's just a side. Okay. Well, hang on a second. I've just found something interesting. Susie's found something interesting. Everybody, stop what you're doing. Stop. I have. Wait. But, but Nathan, you're going to have to actually find out the name of this person who begins oh, I'll do it right now while Susie's and post a link. Yeah. Put us all out of our misery. Okay. I've just found a blog post that says that the backfire effect can be very hard to replicate yes. in rigorous research. So hard, in fact, that a large-scale peer-reviewed study presented at the American Political Science Association's annual conference couldn't reproduce the findings of the high-profile 2010 study that documented the backfire effect. Yeah, well, I Ooh. still believe in it. So it may not be may not be sure, real. Not. And so this Which, is this is social science that has a notorious <laughs> rate of um, being able to replicate studies, isn't it? Well, actually, that's pretty much all of science. Um, but it, it reminds me of the, the wonderful article about how so much psychological studies were done white on students yeah, in America, white yeah. Yeah. Christian Caucasian, yeah, um, you know, and they turned out to be really different from everybody enough. else in the world. <laughs> so the name yeah. of the man I am speaking of, which wow. is Anthony Magna Bosco. He has oh, a, I he has a don't YouTube think I've channel heard of him. Uh, where he puts all his videos. Basically, he videos all of his encounters, and then afterwards, he he sometimes mm. gives a bit of a commentary about how well he did. And um, his thoughts on the encounter, uh, and there's also a Facebook group you can okay. join where they give you tips, and you can, you know, talk about your experiences. And people say, "Oh, well, you could have done this better, or that better, or I would have asked this," and things like that. Um, so, Nathan, in all your spare time in New Plymouth, are you standing on street yeah, corners trying to convert people to atheism? It, but the thing is, in New Zealand, it wouldn't work half as well. Because the odds of me stopping someone in the street and them being firmly having a firm belief in something is probably fifty or sixty percent. Especially it comes for religion. Right. If just talking about strictly religion, um, um, well, you, you're obviously doing it in the wrong place at the wrong time. You should be yeah, standing out, yeah. outside well, churches into the church on a and Sunday sit morning through the sermon and then just raise my hand and ask questions. Um, have you actually? How firmly do you believe this? I'm sure they'd love that. Um, yeah, let's move on. Right. Yeah. Anyway, we should move on. We've got other things to talk about. But that was so. I don't know if this should have been put under New Zealand, actually. But rate of great earthquakes not affected by moon phases. I'm sure we're all shocked to hear that. And one person in particular, who shall not be mentioned, <laughs> Craig. What is this all about? <laughs> Can, can we not mention them? It's a new year. Well, we haven't mentioned them in, since in all of the new season. I think we're we? allowed to reset the counter. <laughs> you have to ask Susan. She's the one who usually... Well, I, I just thought I'd mention this because it it, it was relevant um, because of our proximity to the he Same who shall man. not be named. Um, the, the, the moon bunny. Okay, Is that moon what they man. called him on the, on the forums? Moon bunny? <laughs> Something like that. Moon Bunny. Um, so this was mentioned on the Skeptics Guide to the Universe podcast as one of their science or fiction questions. And did they questions. not specifically also um, mention So they talked... Yes. Moon Man. Yes, they did. So anyway, so that everybody knows what they're talking about, 
Yes, so they actually did a study and they looked at the data and the phase of the moon, the phase of the moon has no effect on earthquakes. Um, So somebody should tell Moon Bunny that, although I doubt whether he will change his opinion and stop selling his almanacs and making various predictions about the possibility of earthquakes coming up (coughs) in the next however many days or weeks, plus or minus two days. Yeah, so this is a paper that looked at 204 earthquakes of magnitude 8 or larger and then um, looked at the oh, well, dates on the lunar phases. Moon? But I can't. They've apparently published it in Seismological hmm. Research Letters, but the website for that is terrible and I can't find the paper. No, but basically there is no correlation between the phase of the moon or the day and earthquakes. Surprise, surprise. Indeed. Surprise, surprise. In fact, she says... The author, Susan Howe, um, says the patterns you see are no different from the kinds of patterns you would get if the data are completely So this is interesting as well. Super. What reasoning, what reason would you have for doing a study like this? The only reason I can see for doing this is if there's... a belief already extant that earthquakes are affected by the moon. So is it at least partially possible that Moon Man is directly responsible for this research being done? Well, it's that definitely is a possibility. <laughs> I hope they charged him for it. He should get his royalties, yeah. <clears throat> oh, for the cost of doing yeah. the research, yeah. But... but- but but I think he's just tapping into a um, a generally held belief. Well, you say generally I mean, held. It's very very niche. Yeah, so a few people hold. There are other people around. Yeah, the world but that but do I've, it. has I've, he but, been doing it the longest? Well, I don't know, but but I have heard it expressed by certain family members of mine that um, that hot weather is correlated with earthquakes. You know what I. Be more inclined to believe that, yeah, really? because the hot Why? weather could potentially heat up the, surf, the the surface of the Earth and cause it to shift, right? Like, but, but, like seismic, we, we, but seismic activity is 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 happening well below oh, the surface. Absolutely, of the I'm Earth, saying right? it's slightly more plausible. I mean, when a bridge gets hot, yeah. it expands and contracts, right? That's why they put little gaps in, in bridges. Hmm. So, same thing with the Earth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a, well, you have to see if you can I get some um, funding for that study you're going I to will. do, Nathan. I've got time. Okay. Uh, okay, cool. Happy with that? Sorted? Problem, another problem sure. solved. So we won't be hearing from him again. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone laughing? Okay. So, the Satanic Temple. We're sceptical. Um, this is America, of course, because it's always America. Um, but I thought it was really interesting for a couple of reasons. One is, I get when we've heard of the Satanic Temple, we know what they're doing. And if you haven't, I guess I'll have... They're trolling. But, well, I don't know if it's trolling. I think they're making a point by um, by trying to use America's religious laws that shouldn't be there um, against them, as it were. And this is basically what sure. this, this article um, summarized, really. So... The Satanic Temple are not Satan worshippers per se, but... Because he doesn't exist. Well, obviously, but 
what they are about is, I guess you'd almost call it a parody religion. They are secular activists, humanist activists. And what they're doing specifically in this case is they are arguing the Missouri laws. uh, I'll read this out. The temple is taking up the case of a member they refer to as Mary Doe, who claims the law goes against her religious beliefs. The woman contends that back in May of 2015, she was forced to view an ultrasound of her fetus and required to read a booklet that stated life begins at conception. Uh, And all of this was forced on her, despite the fact that she adheres to principles of the Satanic Temple and has sincerely held religious beliefs different from the information in the informed consent booklet. So obviously this is a law in Missouri that um, before you get an abortion, there's a 72-hour waiting period, and they give you this material and they make you look at an ultrasound. And it's pretty transparently and blatantly an attempt to emotionally influence people into not getting abortion. Mm -hmm. I still don't understand all this, that, you know, the sort of fundamental religious people in the U.S. don't like think that, well, think that a fetus has all the rights in the world, but the minute it pops out, I find it really sad the, the weight of which is placed on unborn fetuses and, you know, removing a woman's right to choose what she does with her body compared to then how people don't care about the children when they're actually born in terms of not providing adequate health care and various things like that. Anyway, but that's just just me. Um, But while we are talking about the story, I want to raise the fact that in New Zealand... um, uh, abortion is a crime. It's in the Crimes Act, um, and it's about time that this was removed from the Crimes Act. And so there's a petition, uh, which we will put a link to, uh, that is basically asking for the Ministers for Justice, Health and Women's Affairs to remove abortion from the Crimes Act. Hmm. And this was mentioned um, before the election. Hmm. Um, and I think... Uh, Jacinda Ardern made some positive comments about uh, that it shouldn't be in the Crimes Act. So that would be good to get it removed, I think. Yeah, because it is not a crime. No. It should not be a crime. All that, obviously. Um, The other thing that I thought was interesting about the story is that they have achieved the first step of this process. Um, So they're going to be arguing their case at the Supreme Court because they have convinced an appeals court um, that it does, in fact, violate their religious freedom. So they have been, in a sense, as successful uh, in their in their tactics. Hmm. Yeah. So it was fantastic. And I was going to mention the petition thing, but Susie's already done that. Okay. Are you going to tell us about anti-vax pets? Am I? Yeah, it sounds like so. something I would say. Well, it's the fact that that anti-vaxxers have basically got pets in their sight now. So once you've you know convinced people that they shouldn't be vaccinating their children, then the next step is to start convincing people that they shouldn't be vaccinating their pets. Yep. And um, so they're using exactly the same stories and same arguments around, you know, there's too many vaccines um, and, uh, yeah, we shouldn't be doing it to our dogs. They're all getting sick. They might even become autistic. I don't know what an autistic dog would look like, but okay. Yeah. 
I don't know. <laughs> um, that's basically all there is to it, really, as well. It's just a, an article saying that, that this is now this yeah, is happening. It's it's going, wow, the article is um, very nicely um, sarcastic about the whole thing as well. <laughs> the Guardian. I like yeah. the last line saying, "For those hard of sarcasm, yes, I like that very much." <laughs> the UK's Independent Veterinary Products Committee reviewed all UK dog cat vaccines between ninety nine and nine two thousand and two. They concluded that although adverse events do occasionally follow vaccination, the overall risk slash benefit analysis strongly supports their continued yep. use. Yep, that was all. Someone posted it on my Facebook uh, feed deliberately to um, piss, to piss me Control off. Yeah, she knew it. She knew I'd get annoyed. Oh, Brit Hermes. Hermes. So Brit yes. Hermes is a used to be a naturopath. You've probably heard of her. She had a big what, an incident, the place that she, she was working Epiphany. at, where the person that was running the clinic, called a clinic, was giving people a natural cancer remedy or something, and she looked up the research and she said, well, hang on, that's not actually... You know, that's not actually a, a valid treatment and so on and so forth anyway. And also, and also it wasn't legal um, in that it was being imported from... Um, South Africa? Mm, I was going to say Germany, actually. Mm. She's but, in Germany now, so, so maybe... Some, some place, yeah. Um, it was being manufactured um, and it was not approved. Yeah, so they were bringing use. it in and giving it out illegally. And anyway, short story is she's now an ex-naturopath and she's studying something else in Germany. Um, but the story is that she's being sued. Um, she's been taken to court in Germany by US-based naturopath Dr. Colleen Huber, or Huber, um, who is claiming that Brit has defamed her. So uh, Brit Hermes did a uh, blog post about this person talking about the um, cancer, quote-unquote, treatment. Uh, natural therapies that include intravenous infusions of vitamin C and baking soda. And I have to just do a double take every time I read baking soda, and Susie might know more than more than me, but is insert no is injecting baking soda into someone's bloodstream an incredibly stupid thing to do or not? Is there some sort of potential uh, yes. danger with that? <laughs> I mean just apart from the fact that it's not supposed to be there and doesn't do anything. Baking soda is a thing that is very much an active ingredient. It is. Is it? So it's, how it's much alkaline? So they're trying what is to. It gonna, they're trying to. How is it going to fuck you up? Oh, uh, I don't or know. Or is it just going to do nothing and then? Well, it's certainly not going to treat your cancer. Well, no, obviously. But whether it would do anything else, I don't know. You may. You might become. I guess it depends to. upon the concentration. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. cool. Like like drinking bleach. Yeah. yeah. So they're trying to reduce, supposedly reduce the acidity of. Um, yes. blood because it is their theory yes, that, yes. I see that. Um, cancer cells can't grow in an alkaline environment quite hmm. and mm. also i assume it's it's in a it's dissolved in a liquid form or something but still it just sounds like an incredibly bizarre and stupid thing to do is why would yeah. you even think so, to do that so basically what they're what they're trying to do is extrapolate yeah um stuff that happens on the petri dish uh into what would supposedly happen in the in the human hmm. body I'm not sure it would even happen in the Petri dish, to be honest. Well, it's really? like the yeah. um, the XKCD cartoon is um, the punchline is effectively remember that 
you know, such and such kills cancer and a, and yeah, a patron so, so did guns. Cancer. Yeah, yeah. Although, Indeed. I kind of want to see someone do that Mythbusters style. Like so like anyway... It does actually kill the... Yeah, so anyway, the, she is being sued yes. by this woman and so the Australian skeptics have started up a fundraising campaign to um, put together a fund for covering some of her legal costs, which are likely to run into hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this uh, also as well, because it's in Germany. Germany, the laws in Germany are a little bit trickier as well. And in Germany is not a great place to be sued because they don't have anti-slap laws. Um, in America has in some places. And the there's not quite as much of an emphasis as on free speech as there is in America. Uh, of all the things we can criticise America for, the one thing they're really quite good at is is free speech, uh, mostly. Yeah. Uh, especially when it comes to being sued. So um, Stephen Novella, for example, he's just just about won all of his lawsuits that he's been dealing with mm. for the last few years. But it still costs a ton of it money. It does, but he's in the process of counter-suing to get his some or all of his fees back. He won't get all of it but he's going to get a large chunk of money from the guy that is suing him that's put yeah. forward the slap case. Um, something lawsuit. A strategic lawsuit public against participation. public participation. Yeah. Um, which is, of course, exactly what this person is doing. And they, they're going to probably more or less get away with it by doing it in Germany, which they can do because that's where she lives. Interestingly, though, as mm. I understand it, she's in Germany because she can't study anymore in the US, partially because she's already spent so much money on her naturopathic training. Yes, she's and she she's, can't. She's already hundreds of. I mean, she's already yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Yeah, she's already hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt for student loans for studying this bullshit yeah. naturopathy degree. So she has to go to Germany, where I assume it's free or cheap, or she can get loans or whatever. Um, mm. So the deal is basically the money that you donate is going to go towards Brit Hermes Defence Fund. And if there's anything left over, they're talking about creating a generic fund, which I suppose we're a relatively small podcast, but this is something we're quite keen on, I think. I can speak for everyone. Um, that sure. if you're a skeptic, communicator, I guess, and you get sued by someone, you can apply to this fund and they will help you out with your with your court costs if necessary. So even and I can't see here anywhere how much they've raised currently, but go and donate anyway, even if they it looks like a lot, because anything that's left over and keep donating. They set up a recurring payment if you can afford it. Um, so on and so forth. Yeah, I think last the last I heard, they they'd got around about somewhere around about forty thousand okay. dollars. I thought it was a bit higher I'm not than sure that. Where but, I heard um, that from, but this says fifty thousand euros. What's that? Huh. I guess they're not eighty thousand New Zealand dollars. They don't seem to be. Oh, here we go. In less than nine days, they had Australian eighty thousand dollars, but that was um, just after it was posted on the twenty second. Ish. Yeah, um, 84,000. So, okay, sure. Um, just go and donate loads of money. Regular payments. Mm. 
um, that would be fantastic. Um, it's something that's needed, I think, desperately needed. Yeah, because there's loads of people who have those slap suits against them at the moment. So I don't know how relevant this is, but I found this article. I won't tell you how I found it. Um, about Milo Yiannopoulos. I don't know if you know who Milo Yiannopoulos is. If you don't, you can go and look him up. He's a a gay conservative Nazi, sort of. Um, in my opinion, as far <laughs> as I know, don't sue me. He was quite popular for about 30 minutes last year. Well, a little longer than that, I think. No, it was about but... that. 45 minutes. He very quickly fell out of the limelight, but just recently he was in the news again. Controversial far-right commentator Milo Yiannopoulos has used used a spoof story published by a satirical website to slam feminism and the NHS on his YouTube channel, which I guess he's still doing. Blah, blah, blah. He read verbatim the story, which jokingly described a man suing the NHS for not being offered a smear test on grounds of discrimination. Pretty obvious satire there, I think. And the reason... (laughs) um, I've just seen the reason why you know about this. The story features (laughs) the entirely fictional character, Nathan Grange-Volver, a fair trade coffee shop owner and men's rights activist from Leon C who was awarded £150,000 in compensation, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Do you have a Google alert on your name? No comment. So so as I was reading that, I looked at the URL... And I wondered if somehow um, the URL that you your the fact that you had found it had somehow altered the story, but then I think that's less likely than <laughs> oh. just being this that happened to be your name, although you presumably don't have hyphen vulva on the end of your name, Nathan. No, but <laughs> no. Well, this is the thing. I didn't I didn't come across the story. I actually, have a Google alert. So this is how it shows up in Google. And I assume you're all looking at this right now. Yes, a giggling. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, that was just a little bit of humour for the uh, for the podcast. That's my job, I think, to provide the funny bits. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. blah blah. blah. You're okay. famous, Nathan. So, what's it? What? You're famous. Yes. Well, it's not actually me. I just want to make this clear that this was a spoof <laughs> article. This is not actually. You don't own a fair trade coffee shop. No, I think it's fair to say that I <laughs> or do live not in Leon C. Own a fair trade coffee shop in the UK. So we now, hypothetically, ostensibly, have an interview that Craig is going to conduct with John Richards. I'm sitting here with John Richards from Atheist Alliance International, um, who happens to be here in New Zealand on holiday having a great time enjoying the fantastic weather, I hope. Brilliant weather, isn't it? Yes, too hot, really. But I'm visiting my son and his family, okay. who live here in Auckland, and it's my second visit. came six years ago, too. But um, the children have grown a lot in the, in the space between. Oh, I'm sure. It's summer holidays, so we're just lazing about. Right. Taking it easy. I'm chilling out, as they say nowadays. Sure, okay. <laughs> And so, so you're going to give a talk tonight um, at Auckland Skeptics in the Pub yeah. um, about your role as the director, or a director, presumably, of Atheist Alliance International? Yes, that's right. 
Um, I'm proposing to do two things. I've got a presentation about how to deal with believers, because, of course, we get involved in a lot of um, interaction, is a polite way of putting it, sure. yeah. with, with people who have strong beliefs. And um, so I've got quite a lot of experience of reacting to them. So I'm going to deliver my presentation first, and then I will give an update on developments in the, the Atheist Alliance International field, mm -hmm. and tell, tell the audience about the work that we do, and hopefully in, encourage some of them to become members. Sure. Okay. So, so what's the history of of the organisation? Well, it's um, it started in America about twenty five years ago, and it's Outward looking, there is a sister group called Atheist Alliance of America. They were one initially, but then we split it into two. And so AAI, the role is to deal with the rest of the world. It's a pretty big remit. Sure. And uh, so we're active in a lot of countries. We have, um, I, I'm the affiliates director, so my job is to keep all the organizations, the local organizations, um, on board and, right. and, and make sure they're paying their dues and keep them informed as to what's going on, offer them assistance and that sort of thing. And um, we focus mostly on third world countries, as they used to be called. We're supposed to call them developing countries nowadays, to be politically correct. Um, but many of them are ex-colonial countries so of course we've been active in quite a lot in Africa we've been, we've been to countries such as Uganda Zambia Ghana Nigeria we helped the Nigerians stage their very first humanist conference last year we supplied the keynote speaker and made them a grant to, to help, help help them hold the event. So what sort of reception do you get in those developing countries? Because my, my impression would be that some of those countries would be sort of quite hostile to atheism. Yes. Well, the major population is is um, very theistic in, in a lot of these countries, but we've generated little enclaves of more free-thinking people, and those are the people that we meet up with when we go there helping them to develop, you know, yep. helping their roots to dig deeper. And so we, we've done this in uh, the Philippines, Guatemala, South Africa, mm. and India too. Because in, in some of those countries there are actual laws against non-belief. We haven't been to those countries yet. I think there's there's 13 countries in the world where if you declare that you're an atheist, it's a capital offence. So we haven't gone there yet. <laughs> um, th those, you might as well be risking your own life. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> yes, but those are the fundamentalist Muslim countries which are very intolerant of anybody who's not a Muslim. 
In fact, um, I, I've ha I had an acquaintance back home in the UK who was not a religious man, but he came from um, Kurdistan, I think. And he, he told me that he didn't know he was a Muslim until he read what they put in his passport. <laughs> okay. So there is no choice. If you're born there, that's what you have. This is what we're campaigning against, of course. We want a secular world where policy decisions affecting how the country runs and the education of the children and so on are not influenced by religious considerations. Right. And so you're a retired science teacher? I am. Yes. Okay. Yes. How did your atheism figure into your teaching in the classroom? Well, it, it was never a problem. Well, almost never a problem in the UK. As of course, uh, we, we are pretty much a secular nation, although Ostensibly, we have an established church, yeah. but it's the, the Anglican church is pretty moribund. It's not a campaigning church. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for example, the family that I was born into were not churchgoers. My peers in school were not churchgoers. My friends and relatives, cousins and so on. We, church wasn't, it didn't figure in our activities. Right. The only time that my parents went to church was for funerals and weddings, and I never got taken to the funerals <laughs> as a boy. Oh, sure. So, uh, I, of course, at that time, all the schools were pretty much C of E, Church of England schools. Mm. So you got a good dose of Bible in your education, morning assemblies, prayer, hymn, and then actual lessons. And, in the Gospels and right. so on. Right, yeah. But um, that never really took hold on me. So I'm, I'm not a reformed Christian. Oh, sure. I was born an atheist right. and have carried on that way. Okay. You know, and then um, later in my schooling, I got interested in science. And of course, that pretty much knocked on the head any of the uh, mythologies that I may have been tempted to go towards sure. right and and since then i i have uh, taught it yeah in in school as a teacher i can remember one occasion when i had an objection from a parent whose daughter i was teaching a level biology she it was the course had just begun yeah and uh, i was teaching them evolution <laughs> and the parent objected and the girl was taken out of biology and taken to another subject. Right. Okay. And, and this this was A level. Mm. Right. So that's the top level. Yes. It? Yes. Right. That's right. right. So you'd think she would have had some introduction to biology, of evolution in biology before before that level. Not a lot lower down the school then. It's come in more recently. Right. But that, I'm talking. Well, I don't know, 40 years ago. Okay. Yeah, so you had one sort of objection to mm. um, the teaching of evolution, but it doesn't sound like it's, it would be that common, I suppose. It wasn't, no. That was a single occasion. Yeah. That, that's interesting how it contrasts with my experience. Mm. Um, I grew up in a family that was Christian, and, and we got taken to, to church weekly, 
Um, mm. My father was the, the most um, devout, I guess, and my mother went along with it. Um, but we were, went, initially went to a Methodist church and then to a, uh, an Anglican church. And, and uh, I guess really sort of science never really sort of reared its head and there was no sort of um, fundamentalism in that particular church. Um, I personally got out of going to church as a teenager when I uh, uh, was invited to play piano in Sunday school. So that was quite convenient, really. I meant I got out of going to boring services and uh, and, and could... Uh, yeah. So not for me, thank you. Indeed, indeed, yeah. Well, I was invited to, because I could sing, I was invited to be in the choir right. at our parish church. Okay. So I went along on one occasion and I was dressed up in a ruff round the neck mm -hmm. and um, like a surplice, I think they might have called it. Okay. Sort of long, dangly, loose, black, smocky thing. Sure. And uh, we, we sang our songs because, as it should happen, the church organist was my piano teacher, my private piano teacher. So that's how I got coerced into doing this. But I only went the once. I thought, this is not for me. We had our, our Skeptics Conference late last year, and one of the speakers um, is a woman, um, Dr. Alison Campbell, who uh, had talked to us about the teaching of, of evolution in New Zealand. And it, it actually surprised me to find out that um, there, were, there, were, there were quite a lot of restrictions, and not, not formal restrictions on the teaching of evolution, but teachers sort of shied away from it for reasons. And, and my own recollection is that I never really sort of learned about evolution until I became interested in, in it when I, when I was um, in a job where one of my colleagues was a, a young earth creationist. Oh, right. <laughs> and uh, that was... It re that really just surprised me. And, uh, and well, that is the trouble. If you don't teach evolution, people form all sorts of incorrect beliefs about it. Yeah. I mean, they think that it has a purpose. From the start, they think that it, its intention is to go from a single-celled organism to a human. Yeah. Right. And that is the route that it should follow. But it doesn't work like that at all. Yes. I think there's a, a good quote from Richard Dawkins about... Uh, People who understand evolution generally um, accept it, and those that don't understand it are generally against it. Yes, yes, that's right. You're doing a debate this weekend. Saturday, with, uh, yes, that's right. One of our resident uh, Christian... Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so the topic of that debate is God versus science, yes. friends or foes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and so... The, the person you're debating is uh, Zachary Dern, who's recently earned his PhD, mm -hmm. and he's, I'm not sure if you're aware of exactly what he got his PhD in. Is it something to do with uh, evolution? Um, yeah, some aspect of stuff in biological science, yes. Yes, so, so he's not a young earth creationist. No. Um, but he does seem to have some leanings towards intelligent design. Yes. He's um, an interesting fellow because he he's a fan of BioLogos, which is Francis Collins's American-based organization, mm -hmm. compatibilist. Yeah, it's trying to show that 
God and science are friends, and there's no reason for them to be enemies. And um, his view seems to be that I asked him whether God kick-started it and then let it carry on, you know. But he says no. He, he says that God uh, upholds and sustains, uh, I guess, the entire universe. Yeah. So I asked him what would happen if he or she were to stop doing that. You know, I envisage the world stopping spinning and everybody flying off. And we didn't really go further down that route. But it's a, it's an interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's from my interactions that I've had with him. He certainly seems to believe in the idea of a personal God. Christian one too, I think. Yeah, um, but I'm not sure how compatible that is with a God who's sort of involved all the time and sort of tends to be everywhere and is somehow just sort of universal field, I guess, that yeah. is ether God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, is it is it like God is some sort of AI that's sort of thinking about how all these particles have to move, or is he sort of um, set up the laws of physics to allow things to operate as they do? Um, Who knows? Yeah, it's a, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm certainly be interested in how the debate goes. Uh, it isn't really on that, though. I mean, the subject is not um, how the universe began or, or whether God exists. It's whether God and science can be friends. So that's, yeah. that's a topic. Uh, and and I, I guess the majority of theists in the world actually aren't fundamentalists. No, I'm sure. So most people, I guess, at least see some. Well, they don't. They don't necessarily see a conflict between belief and no. science. Even the Vatican has come out and said evolution is true. Yeah, but but I think anybody who's enthusiastic about science is probably going to lean towards at least non-conventional beliefs in God, if not. Not atheism. Yes, yes. Incidentally, when the Vatican came out and said that evolution is true, they said, and it was invented by Saint Augustine in the fifth century or something. It's a shame, man. He didn't write it all down, and uh, (laughs) Darwin wouldn't have had to come along and uh, write it all down himself. So, where do you see the sort of intersection between atheism and scepticism? Well, now that's a very good question. I'm going to talk to you a bit about atheism because it sounds, with the ism ending, as though it ought to be an ideology, mm. like communism, you know, liberalism, socialism, all those other ideologies. But it isn't. It's only got ism on the end because it inherited it from theism. Sure. So there is no such belief system as atheism. It's simply non-belief in the God that theists claim exists. We're not convinced that their claims are true. Skepticism is doubt until 
evidence is produced. Yeah. So there's a lot of overlap. Hmm. Uh, but of course, skepticism is general, whereas atheism just points the finger at that one claim. Yeah, sure. It says, convince me. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I, th I think perhaps the problem with that is that many people who claim to believe in God feel that they do have evidence for God. They do. And most of them are going to have some personal story about how there was mm. this fantastic, cool, well, what we would might describe as coincidence, but to them there's some uh, prayer yes. being answered or yes. something that could not possibly happen by sharks. Well, that's what my talk tonight is on, because um, it's not true to claim that all believers are stupid, because they most certainly aren't. No. But they have formed a view based on whatever reasoning they like to think counts, that there's you know a good chance that their beliefs are correct. Mm. Come to the meeting and <laughs> I'll explain my attitude towards that. Yeah. The, the problem is that there's a number of areas of disagreement. We disagree over what what actually counts as evidence. We disagree over the relative importance of uh, argument and evidence or observation. Mm. And uh, I've, this is what my presentation is all about. Okay. There's some humor thrown in. Mm. Very good. I, I think there is also a lot of um, wishful thinking involved. Oh, yes. Mm. Um, in that... Belief, belief in a God is um, comforting because yes. they, yeah. they, they can then buy into the idea that they're going to live on after death. Yes. They're going to see all the relatives that have yes. passed on. It's yes. a very comforting idea. Yes, I'm actually enjoying my afterlife right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if I hadn't had my heart operation, what was it, four years ago? Oh, right. I probably wouldn't still be around. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, what would you rather have? I mean, you could be in heaven, or <laughs> perhaps more likely you'd be in hell. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but, um, in, the, in the company of all the under, other unbelievers. Yes. <laughs> that's something that annoys me a little bit, because I give credit to my surgeon and his team. Yeah. And the other people that see me say, thank God. Right. He didn't actually have much to do with it. Well, I think we've um, probably talked for long enough. It's been great talking with you, John, and um, look forward to actually hearing your presentation tonight. Well, yeah, thanks for the chinwag, Craig. Thank you. And John Richards is also going to do a debate, I think you said. You probably mentioned that in yes, the interview. Yes, that's true. He's going to be doing a debate on February the 3rd. Um, so the, the uh, he we're couple, talking about couple, is Zachary Dern. So you might not get this in time. Um, but... You'll get that out by then, Nathan, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe. And if That's not, I'm sure it'll, you said it's, be, it's being videoed, is it? Possibly. Um, so the topic of the debate is um, God and science, friends or foes. Haven't anyway, you given a talk about that already? Oh, Probably. Well, anyway, it, it, it'll be interesting. So, the, um, so John Richards, as I've just mentioned in that fantastic interview that I did, is um, director of Atheist Alliance International and a, a retired science teacher. So it should be a very interesting debate. Quite.
Um, okay, so really quickly, if we still have time, we're going to talk about New Zealand. And the first article is the, I think this is what this is about, I actually haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but this is a rocket that was launched in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Which is actually, the, when I saw this, it's actually the first I heard about it. Um, Did you not know that we've got a space industry? I have no idea. I don't know so why. So Nathan doesn't know that there are only... 28 days in February. <laughs> I don't pay attention to things like the news or dates. I've forgotten about that. I get all of my news from John Oliver, basically. Um, now that John okay. Stewart's not doing it. We have a space industry. Yeah, apparently. We have this and they company launched a rocket. rocket Lab, which was um, started by New Zealander. It is actually owned by Americans, but or it is an American company now. Um, and they launched their... First successful rocket, I guess. Yes. Yep. Um, so they and I love the names of their rockets or their tests. It's been it was like testing. This one was still testing, um, but it's gone up and it's taken three satellites up, maybe. Yeah. Um, and a disco ball. It's what? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's put a disco ball in space. It's I called the Humanity Star, isn't it? Oh, that's fantastic! So yes, we can shoot lasers at disco it. Ball. Um, and there's lots of astronomers who are very upset about that. Well, they put it's going to be the brightest thing in the sky, apart from the moon. Well, maybe uh, not. No? Yeah, so Richard Easter, who's um, professor of physics at Auckland University, did an interview possibly with Kim Hill this weekend okay. talking about it, and he says he's still trying to get to grips with whether it is actually going to be the brightest thing. Like That's the claim, but... Whether that's actually true, apparently it depends on spin and all sorts of other things. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we can link to Richard's interview and then you can find out more about that. Mm. And good. so there's a video of the rocket going up, which, again, I haven't actually had a chance to look at yet. I've just had it in my bookmarks to check out um, on Rocket Lab's Facebook page. So, that's yes, exciting. Done. Speaking of videos of rockets going up, I uh, went to an IMAX movie uh, this weekend called 3D, um, A Beautiful Planet. And it was a movie made um, by uh, occupants of the International Space Station, um, basically showing uh, the Earth. And it's really cool and really worthwhile seeing and um, very, very enjoyable. Cool. Won't make the flat Earthers very happy. Huh. But... Huh. <laughs> Yeah. Unless it's all faked. I'm sure it is. They use a fisheye lens crate, don't you know? So that was that. This is pretty meaningless, except possibly as a <laughs> uh, an exercise in Sorry, it's a checking story. your data when you're doing research. So a 19-year-old Kiwi farmer accidentally became a character in a US board game. A US board game company called Call Mini or Not did a Kickstarter project called Rising Sun. It's been very popular. Um, I'm hearing about it just about every day. People are starting to get them now. And they raised about... Raised $4, $4 million. million. Dollars. Amazing. It's absolutely huge. Lots of little... Um, lots of bits and pieces in it. What they did is they created characters based on what looks like Wikipedia research. <laughs> of Japanese monsters. Japanese monsters. So there's Nuri Honor, a spirit with the head of a woman and the body of a snake. There's blah, 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 a witch who blinds travelers by throwing sand at them. And then there's Kotahi. Kotahi is, well, no one really knows. It's certainly not based on anything from Japanese mythology. 
And effectively what happened is um, this chap, uh, Kotahi Manawa Bradford, uh, and his friend were editing Wikipedia articles, and his friend put an entry in under list of legendary creatures from Japan <laughs> with this guy's name on it, which a spirit something, monkey something that is very hairy and gets engulfed yes. in rage. And no one fixed it. This company came along and just copied and pasted it to their game. Well, what I want to know is will there will there ever be a character called a Nathan Grange Volvo oh, in the board game? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to mention it to all my board game designer friends. And uh, see if they can see if they can work it out somehow, or if I ever get round to designing a board game, I'll I'll put it in somewhere. That was all. Um, don't rely on Wikipedia, everybody. Uh, and this is a more important article. I guess it's a an editorial, really, isn't it? Well, it's an article in the spin-off, but it actually first appeared in the Wireless, which is RNZ's online platform, and it was part of a series of three articles that were written about. Um, actually, it was a. I think a new mum who has, I think she has a child with eczema and she recently joined, was suggested she join a Facebook group about eczema and just found it was this place full of anti-vaccination nonsense. And so she's written, um, let's say, these series of, uh, of blog posts um, or posts about it. So they've appeared on the wireless and also yes. on the spinoff. Um, and... They're really, really good. So I um, talked to her about it and suggested she talk to Helen Patissas Harris. Um, and so she interviewed her for it. I got her to write one that was also about the filter bubble and uh, how it's very difficult to find the truth online. Indeed. Mm. And um, I remember when this first came out, but it was attacked quite vociferously by um, the people that it referenced. Yeah, and I've had quite a few emails actually from people about it uh, who were not happy. My not happy with, with what? me oh, with and what you. I said about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so what I was quoted as saying in the article. So she talks about joining this group. It's called the Healing Tribe: Resolve Allergies, Eczema, Plus More Naturally. It's a it's a supportive online community for conversations on allergies, eczema, immunity, and holistic health. Now you get to about this point in the article. I want to stop and and ask you to think about the groups that you're in. And the sort of policies and rules that they have set up about who can post, what posts get deleted, uh, what people are allowed to say and not say, and how they have to treat each other. It all seems to be closely watched over by the group's creator, Mariana Leishman. Leishman calls herself a holistic health coach and regularly promotes her $135 Skype consultations. She also makes sure she's not liable, blah, 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 blah. The group is closely moderated by Leishman. If parents suggest remedies outside of the group's natural philosophy or advertising guidelines, she's known to step in and delete comments. Only Leishman is allowed to advertise products for sale, and there are strict advertising guidelines to keep the space free from marketing and promotion. There's a couple of problems with that last sentence. Only she's allowed to advertise products for sale. What are the strict advertising guidelines for? Her posts, and she's the one that moderates it. And also, mm-hmm. they're not keeping the space free from marketing and promotion because she's allowed to advertise my, uh, products for sale, which is mostly her um, her Skype conversations. I think she said. And yep. then this is the problem. And then um, a group member called her cold-hearted. Another one made a quote sarcastic comment. Every post now has to be approved by Leishman 
prior to appearing on the page, meaning parents who joined to get help from the community have to go through her first. Literally every post now has to be approved by the single moderator, who's the person who owns it, who is the person that is posting her products and services for sale, which surprises me based on the sorts of groups that I'm in and what the rules are around advertising and civil discourse, but also doesn't surprise me at all when it comes to alternative medicine and holistic wasp name and so forth. So there's a really long article. And you said there's three of them, Susie, did you? I've only seen the one. Yeah, so there's this one. There's one on uh, that actually we should send to Craig. Advice on how to talk to anti-vaxxers <laughs> oh, nice. from a former anti-vaxxer. And then the other one is called yeah. Popping the Filter Bubble, Why Finding the Truth Online Fantastic. Isn't Easy. So, so we talk about... Um, predatory journals and stuff like that because she sent me a list of the things the studies that this person had put up on this facebook group and said you know are any of these legitimate studies and some of them had been published in scientific journals in quotation marks you know so they appear in the scientific literature as looking legitimate but they're basically bollocks so we'll put links to all three of those and you can have a look for yourself Mm -hmm. highly recommended so Moving along, Delia's dubious device. Okay, so actually I thought that given the um, very exciting news that our Prime Minister and her partner are expecting their first baby, um, we would just uh, give them a word of caution about some of the dubious devices that people are selling that um, will be, you know, to help parents and pregnant women um, for their peace of mind, basically, during pregnancy and after pregnancy. So there's quite a few. There's... um, uh, there's a, um, let me see, the first one is a device, a wearable device to track uterine activity. So a uterine activity monitor. Um, so for tracking contractions and things like that, which has been found in a 1998 study not to help detect early labor or predict um, delivery, uh, basically doesn't help at all and is just expensive. But uh, this sort of highlights the interesting thing that people can sell a device, even though it's essentially been rejected as a medical device because it didn't work. Um, So they should just steer clear of that one. Um, Oh, sleep monitors. Oh, no, monitors for babies to basically say when they might be potentially um, like a Fitbit for babies. But, you know, the parents are worried that their their children are going to die of sudden infant death syndrome, which is a very clear and serious thing. And so there's all sorts of little gadgets like a smart sock um, that you can put on your baby and then apparently will tell you when um, they stopped breathing. And again, um, these are not, they're not good devices for people to use, um, essentially. Uh, They'll be expensive and not really helpful at all. Mm -hmm. Um, What else? Um, There's, uh, oh, there's, they don't need this one. There's a, there's a bracelet that apparently helps you decide whether you're, um, whether ovulating or not. That apparently also doesn't really work. Um, they don't need that one because they're already pregnant. Um, my recommendations if she's going to go back to work at six weeks is that she wants the not at all dubious device called the Willow, which is an amazing breast pump for pumping milk that just sits in your bra and you don't need any kind of weird well not weird but stuff that if you've ever seen a breast pump you'll know what to talk about anyway so maybe we should send her a willow anyway i'm excited about the fact that there's going to be even more or yet another baby in parliament 
but also that we've got a very high profile stay-at-home dad mm, indeed how mm. cool is that fantastic yep very cool so today's word of the day is felicide which i have posted what? there for you f-e-l-i-c-i-d-e surely it's killing a cat <laughs> i guess craig's answering first is it though or is it a trick question Killing That's somebody, my uh-huh. killing somebody who has carried out fellatio. <laughs> Would that be fellatio side? Fellatio side, I guess. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe it's death by fellatio. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've got a nasty image in my mind now. <laughs> so, Craig, is that your final oh. answer? Anyway, killing a cat. That is my and final answer. Susan to go with your fellatio-based answer. Yeah, totally. And the answer is killing a cat. <laughs> was, Excellent. You gave me an easy it, one. It Thank was a trick Nathan. question, basically. Um, and the other reason I've put it in there is because when I was sitting up for the podcast this morning, I was ignoring my cat and she bit me on the leg. So <laughs> kind of pissed off her. Right so you attempted to fell aside. Thinking about it. <laughs> or at least I was right, um, and that leads us to the last segment, which is the quote, Craig. Indeed. So, um, so some time ago, uh, Susie gave me a list of uh, women scientists who I should um, find skeptics. some quotes from, and skeptics. Yes, and um, so I, I found, I found, I did some reading today, and while this is not sort of taken out as a separate quote, I thought actually it was quite good. Um, so this is from Janet D. Stemwoodell. Apologies to her if I pronounced her name incorrectly. We did do a lot of research at the beginning of the um, podcast to try and make sure we were doing it right. So, anyway, let me read the quote, which I think is quite good. Indeed, part of the danger of the hero narrative is that scientists themselves may start to believe it. They can come to see themselves as individuals possessing more powers of objectivity than other humans, thus fundamentally misunderstanding where objectivity comes from, with privileged access to truth, with insights that don't need to be rigorously tested or supported with empirical evidence. Very good. Amen. (laughs) And I don't know if you actually said it as well, but skeptics as well, obviously. Very yes. much so. Everybody. Yes. Something to watch out for. Mm. Um, the, the target of her comment was actually talking about um, James Watts. Ah, right. Oh, okay. From uh, Watson Creek. Yeah. Creek. I, know, I know, Craig. So good indeed that I may even send it into Skeptics Guide to the Universe. Um, I'm doing a lot of quotes <laughs> from women. I'm just saying it's not very, not very fair and equal, is it? Redressing the balance, Nathan. Yeah, we've got like three years to do. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Yes, you've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you'd like to send us feedback or questions, check out our Facebook page or the Contact Us form on our website, thecusp.org.nz. 